But I saw the opportunity to, uh, again, join a, a, a really a growing enterprise that would really put a put a thumbprint on project management, be able to really influence an industry. And that was exciting to me. A shameless plug. I think that's (laughs) the best thing for me about this career is that we've been able to help people. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is the time we've set aside to discuss with you the subject of project management and touch on some of the issues that are important to you as a professional project manager. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the two guys who make this podcast happen, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And guys, now, in a previous podcast, we talked with the two of you about some of the specific questions our listeners have. It was a great discussion, and today we want to continue in that same vein trying to get to the heart of what our listeners are chiefly concerned about. But before we dive into some of these questions, can I just ask each of you a little bit about your background? I, I'm curious, Andy, how did how did Velocity come about? I know you're, you're the founder of this organization. How, how did this get started? Well, it started, our birthday is September 30th, 2002. But how it got started was kind of fun. Um, I was a director of projects for a publicly traded company here in Atlanta, and uh, I was traveling nonstop. And it was one of those things that I decided, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna need to. I had a young family at the time, uh, you know, children were small, and I said I need a break. And so I left that job. And that was an insane career move because I made too much money to quit. <laughs> and uh, I left uh, and started Velocity shortly after that. And really, a lot of it was just processing with my wife. Look, I love to write. Um, I love project management. And I enjoy the classroom. And it really brought those things together, that uh, it was a good uh, marriage of of those skills. And, you know, we've talked before about um, – Jim Collins' hedgehog concept, which yes. is, Bill, remind me, it's what you can make money at, mm-hmm. what you're passionate about. What you can be best in the world at. What you can be world class. Mm-hmm. And um, so it kind of fit that. I felt like, you know what, um, I do have a passion about project management. Um, it, it's a it's a profession that's going places now. So there were some economic opportunities. And I felt like uh, there were things that uh, we wanted to build a world-class organization. So that was the goal. Bill Yates, how did you get into this organization? How did you become a part? Yeah, well, you can hear it from Andy. I mean, he's got passion and he's got direction and a vision, which was really compelling to me. We started talking, I think, in 2004, and uh, I left my job to join Velocity in 2005. My experience had been with uh, utilities, tax software, tax and compliance software for utilities, gas, electric, and telcos, and have been doing that really for 18 years uh, with different organizations. Went from a small company to one of 90,000 at EDS to then we bought our company or bought our product from EDS. So we went to a company of eight. So we, I think we were around 20 uh, back in 2004 when I started talking with Andy. But I saw the opportunity to uh, again, join a, a a really a growing enterprise that would really put a put a thumbprint on project management, be able to really influence an industry, and that was exciting to me. And Nick, just you know, a shameless plug. I think that's <laughs> the best thing for me about this career is that we've been able to help people, mm-hmm. and 
Um, it's the only job I've ever had where we get we get thank you letters all the time from people because of some impact on their career, because maybe we helped them with a credential or helped them through a problem or whatever. And and that makes it incredibly rewarding, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just just to be able to impact people's lives. So, you know, there are days when you probably walk around feeling like you've only moved electrons around. But I do enjoy mm-hmm. uh, I do really enjoy having an impact on somebody's life. And we've been doing these podcasts now for almost two years, and and hopefully we've made some sort of impact (laughs) on our listeners. We've got a lot of questions from our listeners. And and by the way, listeners, thank you for submitting these questions on our Facebook page. We want to get to some of them. One of the things I think we do well here is that we are able to kind of tell stories and talk about not only what to do, but what not to do, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and some of the questions deal with that. Uh, lessons learned. Um, do you have anything that comes to mind right away uh, as that you would advise people against? Don't do what I did. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and there's a couple of stories that there's zero chance I'm. I'm telling. <laughs> no, we're not recording this. We're right, recording right. It's okay. Um, you know what, Nick? The the biggest mistake um, I ever made as a project manager was. Uh, I've got a, in fact, I've got it engraved in stone on my desk now, and I've got a paperweight that says that's a, a famous quote from Ronald Reagan uh, mm-hmm. that I think he borrowed from the Russians, actually, and it's trust but verify. Mm-hmm. And I had a project go sideways one time because I was getting false data from a key member of my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the funny thing was, this was a guy who was incredibly highly recommended. He came into the organization. Um, I assigned him a very challenging technical job. He came back about 10 days later and said, shrink wrap it. We're done. It's working. It's done. And I don't know what went wrong in this situation, but he had not actually started. Uh, and so it, it turned out to be a really painful thing, and it took um, a tremendous amount of resource. But see, I'm giving that information upstream to people that this is we feel good sure. about it. Yeah, it's basically rub. done, um, and it mm. was not, and mm. it wasn't even it wasn't even close. So that was a, an incredibly embarrassing situation. Mm. It was a very costly situation. It was a painful situation. Mm. So the way I've changed is I've gotten more involved. Now, see, and the other painful part was I was a coder. And at this point in my career, I would have been a better coder than this guy. Uh, just I knew more about software. So I should have said, uh. great, let's have a little demo. Great, show me this. Uh, I want to see it. You know, Show me the script. Show me mm-hmm. how you did it. Show me how you overcome came this problem. Let's run an end-to-end integration test. And I didn't. Mm. And so mm. it it really did shape me. Um, and it was a, that's kind of a rookie mistake, but at the same time, you want to trust your team members. And I just right. hadn't worked with this guy before. So mm. it was really, really uh, a bad memory. That is painful. I, I think of times where I have represented something to the customer or the sponsor and it ain't so, and you find out later, oh my God, that makes my stomach clench. When I, the first time you told me that story, Andy, I just, I felt sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, mm. I could tell a version that would make our, our listeners ill. I mean, it was <laughs> once it came to light, mm-hmm. you know, and it yeah. took a long time to come to light, but it jeopardized the entire project and certainly hurt my reputation for a while within mm, that organization. Boy. Oh, boy. Andy, one of the things, a mantra that you have is 
bad news does not get better with time. That's right. And bad news doesn't get better with age. Yeah. With age. I I had a nuance on that with uh, when I think about, you know, most embarrassing moments or worst memories, that kind of thing, or, hey, here's my scar. You guys don't make the same mistake. Um, I had a situation where I had bad news and I held it back from my sponsor. But there's a, here's my caveat. The sponsor was vice president for a large organization. This is a uh, multi-billion dollar revenue a year organization, and she was a vice president. In order for us to do the implementation of our product, we had to get data from her IT team. Now, they were a separate department. They didn't report directly to her. You know, they reported to one of her peers. So we had a situation where we were the, we were the, they were our client. We were a consulting company with software coming in. And we weren't getting the data from their IT group. Okay. And it was, I mean, what it boiled down to was they could not extract it. They couldn't run an interface. And uh, I made the mistake of letting, our, our schedule started slipping. And it was because of incompetency on the part of the IT lead on that. But I didn't want to call it out to the sponsor because they all work for the same customer. Right. So this bad data this bad information, the bad news got worse and worse and worse. And I just was sitting there going, oh, man, I should have told this, you know, weeks ago. And uh, it all came to a boiling point. And I can still close my eyes and see that conference room at the customer's site where finally there are four of us in the room, me and a, a coworker, and um, that IT person and the VP, the, really the sponsor for the project. And it's all come to a head. We've totally blowing our schedule. And we're finally having to point the finger at our own team member. Hmm. And uh, expletives, the, I mean, she went off. I had never been in a situation like that professionally where, you know, I just saw a customer completely come unglued. Lose it. Totally lost it. So here's, here's the second level of this, of this story. My coworker sitting next to me gets amused by the situation and loses it himself. He starts giggling. So now, it, yeah, it's like, what, what is going on here? It was an out-of-body experience. So there were so many lessons learned for me in that. You know, I think part of it for him was he was happy that it wasn't us and the truth had finally come out. And I think really he was seeing a side to this sponsor he had never, could not even imagine existed, but she had completely lost it. So not only am I trying to, you know, help the customer and think about a solution and kicking myself for not bringing it up earlier, I'm also thinking, what the heck is going on with my coworker here? <laughs> so, you know, do not laugh out loud, please, in this situation. So that was one of those, you know, I think it boils down to, Andy, I should have, again, bad news does not get better with age. Well, mm-hmm. and, and the corollary with this is that all IT projects take longer than they should, and it's almost always the interfaces. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, I, I used to code years ago, and, and uh, Microsoft came out with Dynamic Data Exchange, which was supposed to cure all of our interface problems, right. and it didn't. And then, you know, XML becomes popular as a way to exchange data, and it's supposed to fix all of our interface problems, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so it's still, to this day, one of the biggest challenges is to get systems to talk to each other. They don't want, yeah. to, they don't want to cooperate. And the stakes are higher. You look at, at AI, at artificial intelligence, all the data scientists that are out there, they still need good data. So there's still this, the interfaces that are being built, the data that's coming in. I hear it over and over in the industry. They're, they're, 
it's a common issue even today, just as it was back then. And back in the 50s, they came up with the, the acronym GIGO, garbage in, garbage mm-hmm. out. And mm-hmm. it's exactly, it's still true. yeah, you feed a computer uh, bad data and mm. it'll come up with bad ideas. Yeah. But AI is going to fix all this, right? Oh, yeah. Where are we with AI right now? Show, show me the money, Nick. I, okay, I see. <laughs> no, no, because we, we see some cool things. We see some interesting technologies of how it's being implemented in the medical field and some of that. With project management, AI has this promise, and it's this carrot dangling out there that it's going to be uh, able to predict things. And I'll tell you, um, you know what? Siri creeped me out this morning because she <laughs> knew, uh, my phone knew that I was um, where I was going and I was going to go get coffee here. And then I would be at Velocity Teach in four minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it predicts yeah. this stuff yeah. that sometimes gives me the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we will take some steps toward being able to predict things with project management. But right now, AI is, there's so much uh, un, unrealized promise, and mm. I'm not convinced that it's right around the corner. Mm. Maybe. Show I, me. I had a, a funny experience yesterday as well with AI, and I was using the app Waze, and it was early in the morning, and I had a particular location I needed to go to. Waze pops up and says, oh, okay, this is Bill, and it's this time of day. So I bet you're going here. I'm going to go ahead and route it. Right. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not where I'm headed. <laughs> Change of plans. <laughs> Hello. So, yeah, it is weird. Now, are there promises with AI for me, a project manager? Absolutely. I would love to have a little widget, you know, hanging off my shoulder, looking at estimates and going, hey, Bill, I don't think that estimate is accurate. Okay. But I don't think we're right around the corner from that. Right. <laughs> what I do think would be useful for PMs is it, there's there's been so much, Nick, you know, there's been a big focus in the past few years on collaboration tools, mm. collaboration mm. servers. And so... Um, my ability to assign tasks to people, their ability to report and track and communicate on those tasks. And, um, you know, things like Slack, having channels that you can communicate on, you know, in real time with your team, wherever they are in the world. All of this, this is is certainly having paying off some dividends. Um, being able to aggregate data into big visible charts. Right. That's paying dividends. That's real stuff. I just, I'm wondering... Uh, what it's going to look like with AI, and is it is it going to help? Mm-hmm. I don't want some bot nagging me, you know, about an estimate or right. giving planting seeds of doubt in my brain yeah. uh, about whether or not I'm going to hit it. You know, Andy, on the last project of this size, you had 25 risks in the high category. <laughs> you only have two. Yeah, you only wrote 72 <laughs> lines of code today. Last time you wrote 78. You know, right. I don't know. Get out of my face, AI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's uh, get a little bit more human here. Okay, let's talk about teams. We have a question about working with teams. Specifically, this listener says, what are ways we can get the team past the storming phase? (laughs) What is the storming phase? That's great. This is Tuckman's ladder. Yes, yes. So Tuckman came out with this concept of when teams get together, they go through five levels of progression or, or through the life of a team. So there's the forming the storming that this question's about, and then norming, then performing, and then finally adjourning. Right. 
And there's there's levels of maturity all the way there, right? And you know Ideally. what one of our one of our instructors studied under Tugman. Yes. Uh, Greg Dr. Greg Stevens. That's uh, right. Did some did some work well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so this idea of storming is the second in that five stage process in that yeah. ladder. So your team has formed, you put your team together and um it could be a new team. They, these could be people that don't know each other. They're working together for the first time. Right. So now you have this storming stage where people are kind of fighting for, uh, they're battling for territory. We for... all watched Mulan. We get it. You know, you <laughs> put the little team together and now they all have to go through the progression with the Disney song while they, and they come out a team the other they side. They absolutely do. Yeah. yeah. They save the go world. Go back and watch that. That'll answer your question. <laughs> So, you know, we're like kids. We have our little, um, we've got our sandbox. And if I'm early in a project, maybe I think my sandbox is bigger than it really is. And uh, so there's this storming phase where I'm figuring out, okay, what is my responsibility? What do I have authority over? What does Andy have authority over? What does Nick have authority over? And so there's, there's a, so it's called storming because, you know, it's kind of stormy times, right? People are fighting through things. So, how do you help a team get past that? I have two key pieces of advice. Pizza that, and beer? That I have implemented. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that order. <laughs> I have two key pieces of advice that I've implemented recently on that. And one is um, it is up to the project manager, the coach, the leader in whatever way to set a vision. And you have to keep people, if they're, if they're focused on each other or jockeying for position or whatever, you've got to keep the focus on the mission and the vision. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is I have less patience today for toxicity within a team than I ever have. And I've just try and core it out quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that may mean confronting someone and people have, people go through rough times and sure. I'm not talking about somebody who's had a bad day or a bad week. Even. You're gone. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, you deal with it. And if they cannot move past that, then you need to help transition them to an environment where they can contribute mm-hmm. more positively. Mm, that's good. I, I really appreciate the one-on-one early. It's, it, and I'm with you. The older I get, the more I think, okay, talk about use of the word proactive. This is an area where a leader needs to be proactive. As soon as you see those behaviors that are um, that are going to have a bad impact on the team, then you address it. And again, ideally, thinking about emotional intelligence here, it's usually best to do that one-on-one. There may be things the whole group needs to hear, but if you see bad behavior, deal with that person one-on-one. And try again, try to listen, try to understand why is it that you feel like this is something that you should own on this project? We have a question about meetings. Everyone loves meetings, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and this question really deals with conducting different types of meetings. I mean, how do you know when to have a meeting? How do you know what to have the meeting about? Uh, status, information, decision-making. Um, when, when do you do this, and, and, and how do you conduct it? I am an outlier on this, Nick. I do not like meetings. I, I, uh, I guess that I'm getting to be a crotchety old man, aren't I? and I think that's the that's what we're taking away here. But we have an anti-meeting culture at Velocity. Uh, we have very few meetings. We encourage very few meetings. And that is the complete opposite of my entire career <laughs> leading up to Velocity, because mm-hmm. people like to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons I believe that that's common, and if you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard me get on this soapbox before, is that uh, 
people aren't empowered. And so they're not empowered to make decisions and they're definitely not empowered to make mistakes. So they become scared of doing anything wrong and they feel like they have to have everybody's buy-in and communicate, communicate, communicate. To me, that's a dangerous culture to create because you create organizations where people, uh, people don't have the freedom to operate, to do things, to get it wrong. And we're human beings. We're going to. Mm-hmm. And now there is so much buzz about collaboration that people don't want to do anything on their own. They don't want to write a document. They have to have five pairs of eyes. And so we lose this efficiency. Um, that said, uh, the real question was, you know, how do we do them? How do we make them effective? Well, when we do meetings, um, we try and keep them crisp. Um, hopefully we have a very clear agenda. Hopefully we stick to that agenda. Mm-hmm. We have a hard start and a hard stop. You know, there's some basics. We One of the cores for me, or one of the, the keys to me with a meeting is back to Andy's point of, I don't like meetings either because I've seen them done inefficiently so many times. So I don't want to be invited to a meeting. And if I'm leading it, I don't want to invite people to the meeting unless they really, really need to be there. It's either information they need to hear or information they need to provide. I want to tell you the worst meeting I ever had to sit through. Um, It was every Friday, and it was when I was responsible for an IT system that had become mission critical Mm. within a telco. And it interfaced with another bigger system. So the other bigger system would call a meeting from 8 a.m. until noon every Friday, and they would go through this list of changes that they were implementing to the system. And they would read the change, and then everybody in the room was supposed to evaluate whether or not that change impacted their system. And I got to tell you, I went through all five stages of grief (laughs) in that meeting. It was the most mind-numbingly, tediously boring meeting you can comprehend. Um, and so maybe that shaped us today that we, we have a lot of stand up meetings. We, um, you know, we try and keep it light and keep people empowered to make decisions. And that's yeah. one of the most common things when somebody emails me and said, what's your opinion on this? What do you think? Should we do A or B? I typically will say something to the effect of, you know what? You're empowered. Mm-hmm. Go make a good decision. You're mm-hmm. smart. Right. We look mm-hmm. at meetings as another form of communication. Right. So it's, it's one that you look at and say, based on, the audience based on the message, is this the right communication method to use? Because again, I've already, you know, I've kind of shown my cards here. I've got a, I have a tendency to say that's going to be expensive. Why would I, why would I tie up that many resources in this meeting? Does it really justify it? Right. But so it's just another means of communication. We have to look and see, is this something that really needs to be um, expressed face to face? You know, is this something that we do need to collaborate on that we do, do, do need and to talk about? And we do about? have meetings, right? Yeah, yeah, Of course sure. we do. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, looking at it as not a necessity, it's just another type of communication. Is it the appropriate one, I think, is the right thing to ask. So trying to keep meetings at uh, a minimum. Uh, another question deals Small, with... Small, mon- nimble, yes, mm, and yes. on point, yeah. yeah. Uh, this question deals with monitoring projects. How do we continue to monitor projects more closely, make sure that we're, we're really on top of things. <laughs> and, and, and my great story of, uh, <laughs> of not doing that leading to, <laughs> to my most embarrassing project <laughs> management failure. Yeah. Um, you know what, Nick, the great gift of the Agile uh, uh, community that they've given to project management has been this idea of big visible charts. And so 
it's this idea that you don't hide even bad news. It's all transparent. Transparency is encouraged and visibility is encouraged. So now on Agile Projects, it's out there for everybody to see. It's very visible. It's posted in a common, highly visible, hopefully highly trafficked area. And so the days of the PM burying bad news, you know, under page 12 of a report <laughs> uh, is is hopefully over. But so so how do we monitor? What kinds of things, Bill, are you most interested in uh, in terms of the kinds of data you collect on projects? Yeah, there's basic data like how are we doing on the budget? How are we doing on the schedule? What does my risk register look like? What's happened? What changes have we had since last time we monitored right. this? But I think it's interesting, too. I think back to uh, Wednesdays. It's funny you're talking about Friday mornings. Oh. I think about uh, Wednesdays for a while, I had two projects going on with uh, Verizon and with Pepsi Bottling Group. And uh, if we weren't on site with uh, one of those client, one of those customers, then we were in the office working on both. And Wednesday morning was when we had our, our regularly scheduled status meeting with them. So very practical tool. We use this in our fundamentals class here at Velocity. We talk about using an issue log. So we're just tracking changes. We're using an issue log. It's something that's transparent on Wednesday morning. I think it was 8.30 for Verizon, 10 o'clock for Pepsi Bottling Group. We'd have a call. And we're literally in a room like this with the team that needed to be in there. And we're pulling up a spreadsheet that tracks the issues. And that way there's transparency with customer and with us. You know what's funny? I've been advocating for years that the PMBOK guide uh, doesn't really have a lot to say about issue management. Mm. It's very light, their True. treatment of it. Always has been, historically. Mm-hmm. It used to not even be mentioned, I guess, yeah. the idea if you followed their processes, you wouldn't have any issues, maybe. But, <laughs> but um, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite times in my career, I had a job with Cambridge Technology Partners, and uh, they were such a great organization to work with. And this was back in the, in the 90s. And Cambridge had a project management office that would come in and monitor our projects. Hmm. So they would sit down and ask me questions. And the first time it happened, four people came in. They were all partners. It intimidated me to no wow. end. Four and on one. Yeah, it was four on wow. one. And it was worse than that because you're sitting in sort of a crescent-shaped <laughs> table and you're like the focal point. Did they have Everybody. to swear you in? <laughs> so I was so daunted. These people flew in. To sit here and ask me questions, I wasn't the only one, but but you know it was one at a time. Yeah. So they're asking me all these questions very quickly. What I found was every one of those people wanted to help me, hmm. and so it changed my posture. Relaxed after just one of those meetings, when the partners came back and said, "Hey, you're struggling with a particular task. There's another guy who's done this." Mm. And he's in Oklahoma City, and we're going to put you in touch. And you're doing this document. Well, you know what? Here's a great example from a previous project that's that's been very successful. Mm. And so suddenly I found, oh, th- you know, I can get in here and talk about the trouble I'm having. And they're actually wanting to help mm. and not wanting to scold me, et cetera. Mm. So one of the things with that is in, in how do you monitor a project, you have to build a, an economy of trust right. with your team mm. that they feel like they can tell you uh, when things aren't going well or when they are. Yeah, and you have mm. good, accurate data. That's a huge part of it. Yeah, that is good. We talked earlier about the storming phase of a project. Let's talk about the end phase. Yeah, yeah and that's really of a team. Yeah. As well, mm-hmm. not just a project, but the yeah. storming phase of a team development. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you close tasks properly? <laughs> 
Oh, boy. That's the easiest part, right? <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> I'm still 90% done. Yeah. The, the, the old joke is that the first uh, 80% of the project takes 80% of the time, and the last 20% of the project takes the other 80% yeah. of the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. It, it, is, it is key when you're looking at this. Um, the best way, Nick— and this is advice that I think all of us could probably, it's, it's advice that's easy to hand out and not necessarily easy to follow. But you begin with the end in mind. You talk about the acceptance criteria before you actually start creating some of this stuff. And so that the transition should be fairly easy. That's the whole problem. It's easy to show quick results, but then getting it finished can be really challenging. Yeah. I like the concept of knowing what my target is, a very clear understanding of how do I know when I'm done? So let's define done. Many project teams struggle with that. And it kind of back, I remember, again, I'm thinking about the columns in that issue log, whether it's a spreadsheet like we were using or, or software. One of the beauties with an issue log is somebody's got to own it. There's an owner. These tasks, people have to own them. We have to know. Then, I, then I've got a responsibility to my team. You know, I'm, I'm in this with them. So I feel that sense of, okay, I've got to finish this. I can't be stuck on 90%. I have thought for years about creating a course on how to properly delegate hmm. because it's one of those things that um, people struggle with. Uh, it's a it's a very common thing. People struggle with delegating things. They struggle with uh, uh, how that goes about. And there are some key steps with it. But that gets back to what you were just saying, this definition of done, hmm. being able to hand something off, let people know what their authority is to, to complete it and the expectation. We have a lot of questions about the future. People want to know what is going to happen with project management here in the, in the years to come. New challenges, future challenges for, for the profession. Can you speak to that at all? I think we touched a little bit earlier on the, the rise of collaboration tools. I think that is hitting uh, a really good time for the PM, that now um, you have tools. And, you know, I'm, I'm managing a project that we're using Trello, and uh, we're using that particular tool. It mm -hmm. is a great tool. I, I wish I had had this 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I'm looking at that. I use Asana for task management mm -hmm. a lot. And uh, neither of these are, are particularly cutting edge, but they're just solid, robust tools uh, to help get this done. That's mm -hmm. going to continue. I love the fact that there's a lot more thought coming in. People are putting a lot more energy into scheduling software. And so for a long time, it was just a couple. You had Harvard Project Management and maybe Primavera and Microsoft Project were the, the big three for a little while. Now there are a lot of upstarts coming in and applying some interesting ideas mm. to, this, uh, to this problem. So that's, yeah. that's fun to see too. I'll tell you, um, my take on it, Nick, is... Agile is going to continue to be Agile, and Waterfall is going to continue to be Waterfall. The two don't always mix super well, and I'm not even sure that they necessarily should. I'm not sure that a blended approach is always uh, such, a, such a great thing. Maybe. Maybe. You know, Einstein 
uh, went to his grave in his deathbed, was working on this unified theory to try and make Einsteinian work with quantum mechanics. And they never, they still to this day, nobody's been able to explain how both of them can be true. Mm. Um, I think Agile and Waterfall have some of that too. Mm. It's mm. really hard. They don't always cooperate well. We haven't come up with the unified theory that, <laughs> that I've seen <laughs> de- deployed convincingly yet. Yeah. So I think it's all about collaboration. I think it's tools. And I think the methodologies are going to continue to mature. Right. We had a, a podcast, and we'll put it in the in the transcript or the notes for this cast, was with Steve Krause. And I think the title was something like, Is Agile Right for Me? And it was a personal look at Agile versus traditional and waterfall. As a practitioner, is it right for me to force myself into Agile? Is it really a good fit or not? And there's some great statistics in there about um, – you know, how many organizations are adapting or using, adopting, using agile methods now. But um, you're right. I mean, they're both they're both there. It's just going to Well, they be... both are a great answer to, to a problem. They both, yeah. uh, I, I think, uh, which one should you use? You know, well, that depends on the type of project in mm-hmm. your organization. But it's not, you'll never hear me say waterfall is better than agile or agile is better than waterfall. Right. That's absurd. Yeah, it's not a binary. It's not a yes, no with those. So... The other thing that I I like that you touched on is the tools, especially in the area of collaboration, they continue to get more and more robust. The cost continues to go down. There's, you know, there's so many mobile devices that we're using now, even on the job site, that they're tapping into. That's awesome. The threading, the ability to go back and look and see. But you've got everything from the heavy, you you mentioned the big heavy ones, the Primavera, the Microsoft Project. You've got the basic stuff like Basecamp, like, you know, you can, there's a full spectrum. So, you know, regardless of the tools, the job of a project manager remains the same. You have to lead. You have these goals that you have to obtain, right? You need to add value. You need overcome to overcome resistance, be creative, solve problems yeah. on the periphery, drive tasks to completion, organize things. Yeah. Get your team out of the storming phase. Identify <laughs> risk. <laughs> right. Communicate effectively. Yeah. Know when to share bad news. <laughs> There's so many things that are key. Well, I've got to share some bad news right now. We, we are completely out of time. <laughs> but we want to thank you, uh, listeners, for your questions. Thank you so much for, for spurring this conversation. And guys, Andy and Bill, thanks for your insight. We want to remind our listeners about collecting your free PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications. You just earned them by listening to this podcast. To claim them, go to VelociTeach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. You can always visit us at VelociTeach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And you can also tweet us at Manage underscore This if you have any questions about our podcasts or questions about project management certifications. We're always here for you. That's all for this episode. We thank you for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.